Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. You know, I saw a lot of hugging, a lot of smiling. This community, I think, is ready for Christmas and the celebration. Man, we were blaring the Christmas music on the way to church today. I don't think we're going to get a white Christmas. Have you looked ahead? There's like 50 degrees all leading up to Christmas. This is not... How many people are happy there will not? There might not be a white Christmas? You'd rather white. You'd rather the snow. Well, that means you're from Gillette because... Uh, uh, let me say welcome to those of you who are watching on churchsale7.com, wherever in Wyoming you are. It pr- might be white where you are, but it's not here in Gillette, Wyoming. Uh, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room. Um, how many people here are live Christmas tree people? Like you have a real life Christmas tree in your house. A minority. Why is that? It's just harder you got to clean a mess. you got to clean up after it. Uh, my, my wife and I tried the live Christmas tree thing, and we killed them. I, they're supposed to, like, that's not supposed to be possible, but they always turned brown before Christmas came. We decided there must be some kind of something in our air that kills plants, because we kill plants. This is what we do. But for the last few years, my mom has lived with us, and my mom has a green thumb. Like, if she touches it, it grows. And so, in fact, every once in a while, we'll kill a plant, and not on purpose, but they just, that's just what happens. And so the plant is dead. We're going to go throw it away in the brown trash can. And as we're taking it to the trash can, mom says, wait, hold on. And she goes over and she finds a piece of living plant. Like there's a leaf or there's a root or something that I don't know how she does it, but there's a piece of the plant that is still alive. And she says, I'll revive it. And so she's literally done this. She takes a piece of our, what we thought, dead plant, and she replants it, and she turns it into a big flourishing plant. She's got a green thumb, and it's nice to have around. Well, I believe something a little bit controversial about God. I believe God has a green thumb. I believe God can take things that seem dead and discardable to the world and revive them and recreate them, help them flourish again. Our world likes to write people off and assume that because maybe you've done certain things or you look a certain way or you're in relationship with certain people, they discard you. But God loves to take those people, the least and the lost, and revive them and give them new life. That's a little bit controversial because a lot of people think, well, I've got to, uh, if I become a Christian, then I got to work really hard and I got to try hard enough and I got to do enough good things so I can earn it and so that I can grow myself, that I can mature myself, that I can revive myself. It is a very optimistic thing to believe that it is God that does the reviving. Paul says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, an a disciple of Paul, but God has been making it grow. We have this argument about IVF. My my family has done the IVF uh, procedure, and that's a little bit controversial in Christian circles. I'm like, listen, we can plant seeds all all we want, but only God can grow it. 
So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Us Wesleyans, that's the denomination we're a part of, us Wesleyans have this temptation to make everything about our free will. My actions, my behavior, my decisions, everything hinges on me. But we also believe in God's sovereignty. Yes, God gives us free will, but when we are his children, he sanctifies us. He changes us. He matures us. He revives us. Let me ask you this. If I was visiting the White House one day and I thought, you know what, I think I'd like to meet the president. You might think, why would you want to meet the president? Let's just say, hypothetically, I wanted to meet the president. And I thought, I'm going to jump the fence, and I'm going to go meet him. So I jump over the fence, and I start running towards the White House. Are the guards there, the Secret Service, are they just going to say, go for it, let them do it? No. Or or, will they come over to me, and they'll be like, just hold on. We're going to run a background check on you, and if you've been good enough, then we'll let you run in and see the president. No, I don't care who you are. You can't just uninvited go see the president. But what if I jump the fence and the Secret Service comes over and tackles me and I'm like, oh, it's okay, I know him. They're like, yeah, everybody knows him. He's on TV all the time. Of course you know him. No, I know him. He'll be fine if I go visit him. It doesn't matter. But what if the president knows me? And what if the president sticks his head out of the White House and says to the Secret Service, don't worry about it, I know him. Let him through. He's the boss. He's in charge. They do what he says. They follow his instructions. And what determines whether or not I am able to go into the White House or not is not whether I'm good enough or not. It's not even whether I know him or not. The only thing that matters in determining whether or not I can gain entrance or not is whether he knows me or not. This is the way our Christian faith works. It is all about a relationship. A two-way connection between us and God. What differentiates us from everybody else is not our behavior. It's not how good we are. It's not how well behave, what we behave. Now, that is different about us. We do behave better. We do behave more. But that's not the differentiation. The differentiation is we have a relationship with God. James, Jesus' brother, said this. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Did you know that all the major monotheistic religions in our world believe in the God of Abraham? They don't just believe there's one God. They all believe in the God of Abraham. Now they disagree about who the God of Abraham is, but you talk about the Jews, you talk about the Muslims, both the Sunni and the Shia, Shia, then you got the Christians, all of us saying we worship the same God. But what's the difference between the Christians and the others? The Christians do not just believe he exists. The Christians believe we can have a relationship with him. Good for you, James says. Even the demons believe this. They believe there's one God. And they tremble in terror. They know who he is. They've seen what he's done. He's famous. The question isn't if we know who God is. It's whether or not he knows us. So do you actually have a relationship with Jesus? An intimate, close fellowship 
with Jesus? There's this really hard passage uh, that is one of those where it'd be easier if we could just ignore it. Is it okay if I go through a lot of scripture today? This is one of those verses where we're just doing a lot of scripture, so bear with me. But there's one passage in particular that you don't hear a lot of sermons preached on, and it's one of those when we read it, you like to just read it quick because you want to get through it because it makes you feel uncomfortable. And today I want to talk about one of these passages. It's found in Matthew 7. Now, in the history of Jesus's life at this point, Jesus is beginning to preach. And this sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon in which we read this passage. And it's the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. It's a really long sermon. And he goes out and he just lays it all out there. And this is one of the things he says towards the end of the summer or sermon. He says, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree, this is when it gets hard, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Says Jesus. I've got two trees or bushes up here on the stage here with me. What is the difference between these two bushes? This bush over here on the right has some flaws. It's got some brown spots. It's getting close to where my wife and I would give up on it, you know? It's just, it's, it's, it's fading. But that's just what happens when you have when you, when you work with bushes and when you work with live things, there's just kind of, there's just messiness, right? There's life. This is the way it is with you. As you live life, there's just going to be problems. There's going to be pains. There's going to be troubles. You're going to make mistakes. It's not all going to be pretty and perfect. Now, this plan, pretty and perfect, right? This, this plan, you would assume in an analogy like this, that what Jesus is talking about is good plant, bad plant, right? That's what you would assume when you see these plants. What's the problem? The problem is this plant is fake. This is not a real plant. So of course it's perfect because it's not real. The truth is it looks good, but it's actually dead. Looks perfect, actually not even alive. I think the fake plant is what I call a politician's faith. Now, it doesn't mean that all politicians have no faith. I'm not talking about politician as people. I'm just talking about the type of faith. That these, this type of faith is willing to say that they are Christians for political reasons or for social reasons or to get ahead in one way or another because it's popular in a certain community or because I want to appear to be like a moral person. They're, maybe they're doing it just to get votes but it's not actually who they are. They say they're alive, but they're actually dead. I, I think that's the true meaning of what God meant when he said, using the Lord's name in vain. Using the Lord's name for personal gain, for personal achievement. That's really what he meant. And if you meet people who have a politician faith, don't put your faith in them. Don't rely on them for truth because they're liars. Because in their death, in their, in their lack of relationship with God, they are dead. And what comes from death? Not truth. The, I think this 
fake plant is also like social media faith. You know social media. You see these beautiful people, filtered pictures, perfect lighting. They put everything that's best about their life on social media. They say their lives are great because they've got a lot of nice stuff and a lot of followers, but on the inside, they are dead, searching for meaning. When you get closer to the fake plant, you begin to realize it's all just a show. I can see from this distance, this is, this is not a lie. This is not something worth investing in. This is not the type of good plant, good tree that Jesus is talking about. So Jesus says this, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. My mom has a lemon tree in our house. It, and it doesn't always look perfect. It has dead leaves every once in a while, but it can actually produce fruit because it is alive. And what is the fruit that Jesus is looking for in our lives? This is not ambiguous. We don't have to guess. Paul tells us, what is the fruit? It's listed to us. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit is in your life, he lists what the fruit will look like. The fruit will be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's it. That is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not what people usually think of when they think of Christianity. That's not the popular way of talking about Christianity, but that is who we are. This loving unconditionally, this irrational generosity that comes from recognizing where our value comes from, what our life comes, for, comes from. And Jesus says something very harsh. He says, if these words do not define you, then you do not have fruit in your life. These are what you need. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who knows who I am, not everybody who acknowledges my existence will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On, ju uh, do we, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. It's not about if you knew me. It's not about what you did in my name. It's not about what you said about me. It's about if I know you. I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. It's about, does he know me? Is he in relationship with me? One of Jesus' most famous parables goes like this. And, and let me warn you, at the end of this parable, I'm going to read it out of the Bible today because it's kind of long. This, at the end of this parable, he is going to scold you if you don't listen. So pay attention. Matthew 13, 3. You can bring that picture up. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. 
As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon withered under the hot sun, and soon they didn't have deep roots. So since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. What's the point? Well, there's the easy point, but then there's the more complex understanding about which each of these soils that seeds fell on represents. And the great thing about this parable is that Jesus doesn't just leave it out there for us to uh, guess. He actually interprets it for us. So let's go back slowly through this parable and let's look at each of the types of soil and see what they can teach us. So Jesus says this, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seed. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand. So in this parable, Jesus is the sower and he teaches us the truth. But sometimes, to some people, the truth seems like foolishness. They reject it. They even criticize those who believe it. They don't believe in all these miracles and supernatural stuff. Unless you can prove me scientifically that that happened, then I can't believe it happened. So they reject it. This is what Jesus says. Then he says, then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The Satan lies to them and teaches them a false narrative about the world. Jesus tells us the truth, truth, and the Satan tells us lies. If we reject Jesus's truth, or if we don't listen long enough to understand it, then the Satan will take us to hell with him and with our culture and with our wealth and with our power. This often happens when people blame God for their pain. They don't want to understand him. They don't want to be in relationship with him. They don't like the way he does things. And so they reject him. He continues, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. The idea of receiving it with joy here is the key. They don't know what they're getting into. They don't know what they're agreeing to. Maybe they followed Jesus because of some emotional event in their life. Maybe a friend did and they thought it'd be fun to go along with their friend. Maybe they showed up at church and they liked the music style or or something just excited them about the idea of following Jesus. But when they actually discovered what it would look like to follow Jesus, the sacrifices that it would require, they said, ah, never mind. I was just in it for what I could get out of it. But since they don't have deep roots, They don't last long. We call this consumer Christianity, and it doesn't last. 
These are the Christians that jump from church to church just hoping they can find a pastor who agrees with them on every single topic or a worship band that plays exactly perfect every single week or people who greet them friendly with with a smile every single week. And because people are flawed, they'll never find a church like that, so they just keep hopping around because it's all about me. It's all about my desires. It's all about what I want. If we don't mature past consumer Christianity, and listen, we all start there. All of us start a relationship with God because of something we want to get out of him. That's just the reality of it is. That's how all relationships start. But at some point, we have to mature past that because I can't be in it for what I can get out of it alone. He says they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. A long time ago, I watched a video. Some of you have probably seen it. I hope not. A video of ISIS beheading a bunch of Christians. It's one of those videos that I watched and immediately regretted it, and I can see it in my head today, and I can't get rid of it. I can't stop thinking about it. These Christians who refused to deny their faith and instead allowed themselves to be killed because their faith was not in their pleasure not in what they could get out of Christianity. And I can't stop wondering if I was in the same place that they were, would I have done what they did? Is my faith that strong? I'm not saying it hypothetically. I'm seriously wondering, is my faith that strong? He continues, the seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. God doesn't need my money, but he wants me to sacrifice for him. He wants me to surrender to him to show him why I am in relationship with him. You realize in the Old Covenant, people would bring their offerings to the priests and the priests would burn them up. It's like some people are like, I'm not going to give my money to the church because I don't like how they spend it. Or I don't like this. Or I don't like how they do that. Or I don't like, I'm like, what if we just burnt it all up? What if we just sacrificed it to God? It's not about what God needs. It's about our attention. It's about our willingness to sacrifice and surrender and give generously. In this passage, Jesus listed two types of thorns. He listed the worries of this life. If your attention is on the worries of this life, it's because you have taken your eyes off Christ and you believe that your hope is in this world. But Jesus says, the birds and the lilies don't worry about this world, so why should we? We trust God. We we put our faith in him. The second type of thorn he lists is the lure of wealth. If your focus is on power and wealth, then those things will eventually take your loyalty. That's how powerful they are. They will eventually take your loyalty to God, from God. That's why Jesus says it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because they are all consuming. It's incredibly difficult. He continues. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word. Do you have ears to hear? Are you listening? Are you leaning in? 
Are you paying attention? If you do, then God's got a green thumb. If you do, God will produce fruit in your life. So what fruit will God produce in you today? What fruit has he called you to? What has he equipped you to accomplish for him? What has he, he equipped you to produce? You've been given unique gifts and abilities. He wants you to surrender them to him. If you are a child of God, you will. He says, and that person will produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as had been planted. This is the parable of the talents. We, all, we are all not given the same amount of talents, gifts, abilities. We're not all given the exact same qualities. And we're not all going to uh, produce the same amount of fruit. He's not, ta- he's, not equa- he's not saying, well, Mike, you've got to produce as much as Billy Graham or you're not going to do He's not comparing us to each other. He's just saying you will produce fruit. Now, new lifers, hear me on this. This is you. You are the good soil. You wouldn't be here if you weren't. Don't doubt it. My, My point in preaching a sermon like this is not to get you to doubt your faith. I believe that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a child of God, that you are saved, that your eternal destiny is heaven. You you can have not just faith that God exists, but faith in your relationship with him. That when he sees you on judgment day, he will say, I know you. I am in relationship with you. Not because of your goodness, but because of his goodness. Because of his sacrifice. Because the world looks at plants like this, and we are all plants like this, with some brown leaves, with some mistakes we've made, with some bad habits that we have, with some pains that we have experienced, some some diseases in our bodies. This is us. But this tree is alive. Don't look at your life and recognize that there's pains and problems and mistakes and habits that are, that are there and assume that because that, those problems are there, then that is evidence that you are not in relationship with God. No, those things are evidence that you are alive, that you are not dead. You're not fake. Because when God created Adam, he didn't just build him out of the dust and leave him. He came down to Adam and he breathed his spirit into Adam. Does that mean that Adam never made mistakes? God's spirit being in Adam, does that mean that Adam never screwed up? No. Adam was now a human because God breathed his breath into him. And he lived a life, a painful life, because of his mistakes, because of the pain that he produced in this world. You need to know that you are a child of God. Don't doubt that. Because it's when we start doubting it that we stop producing fruit. It's when we start shying away and and we, we live in fear. We build bunkers and we try to separate ourselves from the world more and more so that we can somehow avoid more sin and avoid more temptation. And we just build this big bunker and we guard ourselves in there and we stop from interacting with the world because we've got higher priorities and it's all about my behavior, all about my perfection. 
The life that God called us to is a life of confidence, of knowing that because of his goodness, because we are in relationship with him, then he will use us to produce in this world the fruit that he created us to produce. You've been given talents. Use them well. Use them wisely. God, I thank you that you have given us the chance, the opportunity to be in a relationship with you. God, I pray if there's anybody here today who has recognized in their life some, a lack of fruit, I pray that they would surrender more to you, that they would give you more control, that they would make you Lord of their life and allow you to do with them whatever you would do, even when it causes pain, even when it produces problems in their life, that we would be the fertile soil through which you can produce the fruit that you created us to produce. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.